Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It's Neil Hamill here with Becca Case and Thrash. Hello. Hello again. Yet again. Yet again. Which is such a thrill. Are y'all sick of us yet? (laughs) They're not sick. They're tired of me. I promise you that. But you never, ever, never, 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 ever. So, um... Where were we? I already well, forgot. I, I, I have definitely not <laughs> forgot. I'm dying to talk about oh, okay. several more things. Okay. One of them is we were talking about some of your favorite parties, Buckingham Palace, Prince Charles, and all of that. Well, some of the my favorite parties that you've hosted, one that will live in my memory f- forever is the event that you did at the Louvre Museum for the Louvre where you had Janet Jackson performing mm. three mm. feet away from me right, right. in a white leather jumpsuit. Yeah, something wow. else, huh? That was unbelievable. That was a tiny bit of luck there, but it was um, quick, quick, quick little bit of a f- footnote here. I w- was hosting something for the opera about 11 years ago here in Houston, and my good friend Kip Forbes was in town and, and our guest that night, and he went to the museum. He went to the MFA to see mm-hmm. whatever the show was that day, and he happened to run into the director of the Louvre. His, his name then was Henri Loiret. And Henri said, can you have dinner tonight? And Kip said, I'm, I, I'm going to a dinner. And he called me and said, can I bring him? And I said, well, you have to buy him a ticket. You know, it's a fundraiser, <laughs> but if you will, of course. Sure. I mean, so he said, no problem. And he came, and it was a fun night with Charlie Rose and Princess Napoleon and and just all these crazy characters were there. And after, and it was a fundraiser, and I had a big auction afterwards. And the event, and this is 11 years ago money, Neil. So wow. the event made $600,000 on a Tuesday night. It's huge. And that was huge, particularly then. And afterwards, we're back at the bar, and we're having a cognac. And he was just, he said, I'm baffled. He said, I've never seen anything like this. No. Would you ever consider bringing your style of fundraising to Paris, to the Louvre? And I went... What do you mean? He said, well, we've never had a fundraiser. And now, as an American, we cannot imagine an art institute surviving without private equity. But the French culture, the Italian culture, the European way, is everything is subsidized by the state or by Mm -hmm. the government. Of course, there's not enough money for restorations and acquisitions. There's just not. And so, long story short, I said, oh, my God, I would be beyond honored. And I went to work and created this first ever fundraiser for the Louvre, in the Louvre. It was a three-day party. The tickets were $10,000 a person. I invited everyone that I thought was appropriate and, and, and correct for this event, but from L.A., from Los Angeles, from people from Mexico City, my friends from Brazil, Pearl Lamb and her crowd from China, and they all came together, and we had this really, really extraordinary night. Fast forward to the second one, which is the one you attended. Yeah, that's right. And so the first year I had Duran Duran, because I called Glenda Bailey, who's English. She's the editor-in-chief mm-hmm. of, of, of Harper's Bazaar. Right. And I knew she and Simon LeBon were really good friends, and Nick Rhodes from Duran Duran. And I love Duran Duran. I know every word. So <laughs> she called them on my behalf and asked them if they would perform. And they were like, under the iconic pyramid at the Louvre. Thank I mean, you. you don't say no. I mean, it's just they've yep. never they've never had a rock performance there. So it was a huge success. I think we Amazing. made 2.7 million that night. Wow. So the next time, I'm now trying to top it, which is not so easy. No. So I'm working with Vin Bourgeois, my dear friend, who is uh, 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 does, he does enormous productions all all over the all over the world. And I said we've got to top it. And so to make a long story short, Janet was start launching her European tour. 
I couldn't afford her. Janet makes a million five, and then that's just her fee. Then you right. got to get her whole entourage from Los Angeles or Detroit or New York because band members come from all over, sure. and the wardrobing and the and the costume people and the hair and the makeup and forget it. The nutrition, the the worker out or what do you call those people? Yep. Trainers. Trainers. Sorry. Yep. Um, it was just this whole <laughs> production that we couldn't afford. No one could afford it really. No. So long story short, she we did it to where her tour started two days later mm-hmm. that so it kind of launched it and there was so much publicity with her being under the iconic pyramid oh and there we all were i mean and we were these events are never more than 250 280 people maximum because the tickets now are twelve thousand dollars a right. person and that's just to physically be there you've still got right. to fly over and have clothes and jewels and hotels and drivers i mean it's not cheap and i expect you to bid on the auction right so that <laughs> night janet did an incredible show with all of her her dancers and she did a film with Michael Jackson, her brother, and they sang to each other, and it was so touching. Oh, was and then we did this fabulous art auction. We had Anzal Kiefer and Richard Prince, and that night we made three point eight million dollars. So wow. it's so you know it's constantly like that. You know the the next one I did Diana Ross, and for the one I'm doing now, I'm doing another one coming up in June. Right. But I'm on the board of Venetian Heritage, too, and nobody needs more support than the city of Venice, which is literally falling into decay with all the humidity and, 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 and the antiquities. And so... I went to the, the the Louvre. Asked me to do it again. I said I don't want to. It's it's I, I'm tired and it's so much work oh, for me. Years it's of work. really a lot of work for me. And I said I'll do it under one condition: if you'll let me split the proceeds with the Venetian Heritage. So this oh, wow. next time we're going to do two and a half days in Paris. This this coming up right now in June. Right. It's in two and a half months. And then everybody, hangovers be damned, get up <laughs> the mo- next morning and fly to Venice. And then we have two days and two. Na- Two, three days and two nights in Venice, which will all culminate with a ma- an authentic mass Venetian ball Ugh. and the Scuola Grande della Misericordia, which is a building that's been closed for 100 years. And the city of Venice restored it. And the day wow. that I saw it this past May, it had only been open three days. And I said, oh, I have to have it. And they air conditioned it in the <laughs> restoration. Venice can get very hot. Yes. So uh, that, that played a big, you know, sure. deciding factor so yeah so that's what i'm working on now and i'm working on uh, the talent as we as we chat well it'll be somebody uh a major mm. for sure it will be because nobody does it like you thank you so you know how to do it on the big stage the world stage in front of everybody all the uh, um all the most fabulous people but you well, also, all the most fabulous people come. Right. I mean, we have what all I'm the billionaires, and we have art collectors, and we have celebrities, and we have philanthropists and business moguls and oh, really sure. fun people from Texas that bring all the energy and all the life to the party. Without the Houstonians, these parties would not be fabulous. I don't care what anybody says. A room full of French people, you're going to be working on your wrist with a dull razor blade. Yes, at a certain you know? point, you start doing your grocery shopping You do. You, you do. But, I mean, the Texans bring the exuberance and the life to any party so i think that's part of the reason uh the parties are so successful right texans bring the totally they bring the bubble um but you also nobody throws a small intimate dinner party better than you i mean you do it on the big stage the big scale and you can do it so effortlessly and flawlessly and create memorable fun fabulous intimate dinners how do you create the get give people some a little primer on how to create the perfect guest list for a small dinner at home. Well, 
I think that the the rule for most hostesses is you try to bring like-minded people together Mm -hmm. and a cohesive group that knows one another or has an interest in the guest of honor, whoever they may be be from out of town. If they're in medicine, you want to have doctors or if they're in entertainment. But I do the opposite. I try to bring a table together of people that otherwise would never be sitting together a little bit of, I always try to have somebody a little bit outrageous that's why you're always at the table Neil um, <laughs> but anyway a, somebody a little bit outrageous somebody a little bit academic somebody a little bit cerebral and intellectual and somebody that's just fun um, but no matter how much you labor over these parties big or small the menu the music the the tabletops the the bottom line is if you've got a great group of eight or a great group of 80 or a, a, a big group of 800. If you've got the energy going, all you really need is a bunch of vodka and a bunch of ashtrays. Right on. And things are happening. That, of course, people, people aren't smoking so much anymore. You know, it's know. The, 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 it's not politically correct to smoke anymore. But count. I came from the air and everybody in Europe smokes, you know. So Thank you God. always have to have a little bit of that. And I don't, I don't allow, I do not allow people to smoke in my home anymore. Although I used to. I but know. now I, I do smoking pavilions outside for the Yes, you do because you're sweet like that because you know that. People like me are going to have... That's right. Well, there's way more than you. A bunch of cigarettes. There's way more than you. Once one person starts smoking, oh my God. Here they Here they all come. They're coming out of the woodworks. Even people that haven't smoked a cigarette in 10 years, you know, they want to be part of the fun. It's kind of... There's something about having a martini glass in one hand and a cigarette in the other, and you've got your bracelets on and your rings, and it's just part of the pomp and circumstance. It's fun. It's sexy. It's glamorous. I don't care what anybody yeah. says. Smoking's glamorous. I know it is. And I don't. You know, I don't do it anymore because I can't. But no, I know. But you know, you know trying uh, to preserve the face. When you say some people that run, and lungs, trying to preserve the lungs too. The other night at your party, um, when well, when you just said uh, people that haven't smoked a cigarette in ten years, when I am headed to your house, I make sure that you have three packs. Have, yes, because people are bumming. Yes. Constantly. Totally. And I did not go out for my first cigarette. And I was not outside 13 seconds. And here come three people back to back. And I just look at them and go, do you have or do you need? Because yeah. that's all I need to know. Because <laughs> don't interrupt that's right. my that's, enjoyment that's of so, the cigarette. That's right. Um, that, you know, that's just, it's just part of the whole thing. And, and, um, well, it's part of having a diverse crowd. Right. If you have everybody who's a vegan and everybody who doesn't drink and, I mean, you know, I, I know people like that. I don't judge them. No, of course but not. But I really try to mix it up so you don't die boredom. Nobody does it better. And Thank you. Nobody's ever been bored at your house. Thanks. Or at the Louvre when you're the hostess um, <laughs> or anywhere. So the other thing, you know, people know you for is being a fashion icon. And every fashion designer I have ever met, Carl Lagerfeld included, says to me, oh, you're from Houston? Do you know Becca? She's my favorite person. She's my favorite client. I love dressing her, whatever. So give us, share with us, please, your favorites, memorable. I remember the dress you wore to the Louvre, the Janet Jackson, your second year Oh, that's that a party. great story. That, that dress, dress that's a great story. Was because it was, thank you, because perfection. we were going to be walking past the Wing Victory. That's right. And Alexander McQueen designed 12, it was, it was the 12 final gowns he designed, 
before he killed himself, before right. he took his own life. Right. And that was one of them. And Hamish Bowles, I was on the phone with Hamish. He's always got his eye out for me. And he said, there's one McQueen dress. I really urge you to consider it. And when I saw it was all medieval and all encrusted, it was gray and, uh, you know, it was very, very spectacular with a very, very long train in mm -hmm. the back, which I try to get away from those now because I can identify what man's shoe print is on my gown. But anyway, <laughs> I knew I was going to be walking past the wing victory and the whole back of the gown was hand painted the wing victory. I had to ha I had to have the dress. But um, that was a moment. That was a moment. It was. And, and fashion to me, I, I mean, I, I've always loved it since I was a little child, but because I love it, but I used to not have the money to afford it, you know, mm -hmm. and I went through a period in my life about tw 20 years ago when I was introduced to the haute couture and became a client, never a big giant client. I would be very selective and go very slowly. But what happens is you get to know the designers. Right. You know, you meet a Karl Lagerfeld, or in my case, it was more Alexander McQueen, John Galliano. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I got to know them, and, and so that influences what you select. And then sure. also their style adapts to yours and yours to theirs, and so... They do certain collections that just speak to you, and then they do another collection that you don't get at all, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and interesting that um, of the newer designers, I, I don't want to say he's that new because he was a pattern maker at Halston, but, and he's on my mind because he was, he, he, he was just in my guest house two nights ago, uh, Naeem Khan. But what I love about Naeem is that he, 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 um, he identifies women that are his customers that really influence him. Mm -hmm. I mean, he might have a, a customer, whether it's Queen Noor or, you know, uh, Ciara, is that her name? Yeah. The, the, and, and maybe he sees them walk into the showroom dressed in a certain way, and it really speaks to him. And he ends up creating a, a collection around that. And when Hamish Bowles did the Balenciaga show that he curated in San Francisco... I wore one of Naeem's tops, but I wore a, a, a Tom Ford skirt, a vintage skirt of Tom Ford from when he designed for Yves Saint Laurent. Oh, wow. And Naeem, and he told everybody, he designed, he designed the entire spring collection around the outfit that I had on that night. That sort of whole Spanish Amazing. thing. So what I love is that the really good designers are, are not so caught up in themselves that they don't say the customer is their best inspiration and they and we inspire them and sure. we never think we do and we're going to go meet one and you're so nervous do i look appropriate is he going to think i'm tacky or whatever <laughs> and um it's really quite the contrary you know uh, they see you and they and they go wow i love the way i love the way you've got that pulled together and then you, you turn around in the next collection there's your kind of an interpretation of what mm -hmm. you had on right there in the collection it's always that's super cool it is cool that's the ultimate compliment isn't it though it is it's really special and um i you and you inspire designers people other ladies kids in fashion school i mean that is the definition of being an icon and you so are sweet. because you have always had impeccable flawless style not a cookie cutter not not a go play by the rules gal oh, no. you know <laughs> no. i mean you you <laughs> You put it out there. I do, you, and, and I mix it up, and I'm 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 not at all insecure about you know wearing a Zara top with a pair of Christian Lacroix couture beaded pants that maybe cost one once upon a time thirty thousand dollars. I don't spend my money like that anymore. Right. I'd rather give it to charity, but I always gave it to charity and did and, and and supported the 
Because when you're supporting the haute couture, you're, suppo- you're supporting an entire industry of the people that make the lesage beatings. I oh mean, these God, are women yes. that sit in there, you know, 15 hours a day beating by hand. It's an, it's an art form and it's an it industry is. that if, if it's not supported, all those people lose jobs. And the same with the feathering and the same with the, you know, the, the pattern making. And, and it's the ateliers are... Are uh, they're dying because they're just they're not dying. I, I don't want to be quoted as saying that, but um, it's really going to take a new breed of young girl mm-hmm. that appreciates the art, the artistry, in a note couture gown to 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 support it and buy it. Now everything is going the, the, the labor the labor costs are so high that right and fashion is becoming you know Andre Leontali said fashion is dead because it's too accessible now, and and I was like well. That's not necessarily a bad thing because it, it people of all income brackets can now have right. really fashionable things like right. H&M and Target. You know, they're all totally. these, all these totally. um, I mean, if you don't have any money, yeah. but you have style, you can be in a photograph. If you don't look at it really, really closely, it, maybe it's not, you mm-hmm. know, a garment that's made by hand. But if you've got style and very little money, you can be the best turned out person at the party. It's so but true. But it really does require you to have taste, you know. And some people, you know, everybody who says you're just born with it, it's really not true. I, I think you can develop. I think you can develop style. You, you do. You, you know, you're exposed to it. You study it. You know, the new designers, I do have to say, who's inspiring me lately um, I, I, I'm, I'm older now, and so I can't wear those trendy things any longer. And I find that when I look at what my, my schedule's like in June for the nights in Paris and in Venice, I know exactly what I'm going to wear, and they're, everything I'm wearing is 15 to 20 years old. Incredible. Because I've got it in my closet, and it's fabulous, and it's haute couture, and I haven't worn it in 15 years. So where better to wear a Dior encrusted lesage jacket than under the iconic pyramid at the Louvre. It's, no it would be better. crazy not to. It would be. And I'm going to wear Scaparelli to the an old vintage Scaparelli, oh. if, it, if it zips. I'm <laughs> going to wear an old vintage Scaparelli to, to Venice because she was Italian. Right. And Marisa Berenson, her granddaughter, is hopefully going to be with us that evening. She's a big inspiration to me. I've always thought she was the chicest woman she is chic. ever. And so... That's that's you know there's two kinds of fashion there's the fashion that is art that you invest in that you keep that you give away to a museum one day or there's fast fashion and to mix the two of them together just makes it so individual because nobody will ever have on what you have on even if you have a Chanel haute couture suit if they sell it to me in Houston they're going to sell it to somebody in Chicago sure. and they're going to sell San and Francisco. you can run into each other oh definitely but you're not going to run into each other if you have on a Chanel jacket and H&M pants and do you know what I'm saying and really no one right. else is going to have that's that's your stamp that's your style that's right unique to you and nobody has better style than you and it is something you can learn because watching young models first time going to fittings for shows right in paris and right. new york particularly and milan and <clears throat> being a part of that process and um i will never forget one of the very first models i ever started in houston who went to paris and was immediately became under contract with um Givenchy uh, Jody Beard. Uh, I, I went to Paris to check on everybody, and I had a girl at Saint Laurent under contract, girl as you and she was she, and so forth. And I went to the atelier to see them, and I met 
Eve and I met Uber and oh, watched them the for days. two hours. Those were the days. Watching my, this girl from Houston, Texas that I had gotten lucky enough to find and just that painstaking process. And those girls now to this day are so chic. Yeah. What they learned right. in that environment. Right. And, and you know, Azadine Alaya is responsible for Naomi, Veronica Webb, and, Ste- and Stephanie, Stephanie Seymour. Seymour. Of course. I mean, they call he him made Papa. Them. He made them. And he that's why those girls are so beautifully dressed True. 24 hours a day True. and are so chic. And it's not always big and loud. Sometimes it's very small and quiet. Yeah. But they just know how to do it. You know what, Neil, to, to your point, uh, and also to Andre Leon Talley's point, in a way, I kind of disagree with him because it's not so much that fashion is dead. The the fashion that once existed where people had fittings and they dress for dinner every single night and the men, we're living in such a casual oh, world. Yes. So that part of fashion, that, that aspect, that element is dead. But there's a new infusion of fashion that can be wearing a workout pant with you know what i'm saying with yeah. a great bag and you know a, a really important watch and as long as you've got on something that's i've said this before so i hate to repeat myself but as long as you've got on something of quality right you're always going to have you're always going to be turned good off. shoes good shoes good a shoes good bag everything. a good watch good necklace just something that's quality and then you can throw on a gap t-shirt and a levi's denim totally. jacket in fact nothing chicer it's really yeah it's really true yeah. Oh my God, Becca! I could. We're talk out to of you. time. Well, we'll have you back another okay. time. You should have your own show. No, actually. I think I, I think you should be on the Tonight Show, <laughs> Jimmy Fallon. We're all we love you, but we're tired of you. Neil's coming to New York to take over your <laughs> oh position. Oh my God! Well, Becca, thank you for <laughs> thank your time. You. Thank and you for having me. What a it's, a, it's an honor. No, it's an it's honor. I know we're really close friends, but that this is something altogether different, and I'm just privileged to orbit you every once in a while thank you so much and thank you for coming and sharing who you are and what you're about and all the things that make you you and for letting me brag about you and thank you Neil. celebrate you because so you know sweet. i love doing that as carl <laughs> just ask carl lagerfeld he, he can tell you well becca thank you thank you neil and thank so you much. guys no it's my pleasure libby i missed you today libby where are you i haven't seen you in eons we'll have to get you back when Libby's here. Okay. And I hope you're enjoying your day, Libby. Part I, two. I miss you. Thanks for listening, guys. And don't forget to, descri- to subscribe. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.